You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast on Apple Podcasts. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. By show of hands, how many of you can remember what you were doing the morning of September 11, 2001? Most of us can. Most of us can. I was working as the service manager for one of the Ken Towery's in East Louisville. And I remember one of our mechanics coming through the front door right at 9 a.m. and making a beeline towards our customer waiting area. And as he approached the TV, he turned and asked, did you all hear what happened? The next thing I remember is standing standing there watching the North Tower burn and listening to the news reports as Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower. And everyone in the shop just stood there for the next couple hours watching the coverage just in all of what was taking place, what was going on that Tuesday morning. That evening after closing the shop, I started driving home, but I was filled with this overwhelming desire to pray. And I knew that if I went on home, I was probably just going to sit glued to my TV watching the coverage. And so I detoured, and I went by the, the Southeast Christian campus there in Louisville, And I walked up to the security desk, and I asked the the gentleman there, and I said, is there just a private place I can go pray? And he said, absolutely. So he directed me up to, uh, they have these, these private prayer rooms up on like the fifth floor. I didn't even know there was a fifth floor, but he directed me up there. And I remember walking into this little closet of a room, sitting down on the floor, and I just started weeping. For over two hours, I wept. I prayed, and I mourned. Now, I'd never, know, I'd never been to New York. I didn't know anyone who, who lived in the city or worked in the city, but I was heartbroken over what had taken place. And my guess is most of us kind of felt that same way. And as I sat there, I felt this undeniable pull, this pull inside of me that I needed to do something. The next day, I called one of my closest friends, and he was a former roommate of mine. His name was Matt, and he was living in Berea, Kentucky. And and as we talked on the phone about what had happened, I told him about this just a super strong feeling I was having that I needed to do something, and he said he was too. And then there was this strange moment of silence, like we were each waiting to hear what the other was going to say next. We each wanted to know what the response was going to be. And so I took this deep breath, and I said, do you want to go? And I remember his response was, yeah, I do. So we made plans. We were going to meet in Lexington after work Friday and just start driving north. Neither of us had ever been to New York. We had no idea where to go, who to talk to, or where we would stay. All we knew was that God was telling us to go. So we went. We took turns driving all through the night and arrived in Manhattan around 7 a.m. Saturday morning after we had to stop in New Jersey to get a map of New York because we didn't know where we were going. And from that point, I could talk for hours about all the ways we saw God at work over the next few days. The way he put us right where we needed to be and where our skills were needed. The impact that we were able to have over the sheer chaos that was taking place there. The way he continuously, miraculously provided food and shelter for us on our trip. But the point I want to make here is that we were heartbroken over what had happened, and we felt this tremendous call to action. 
And while we had a ton of fears and doubts about going, we prayed and we went. And God used us in ways we could never have imagined. God had a plan, and he called us to be a part of carrying out that plan. And all we had to do was be willing to do it. Last week, we started a new series on the book of Nehemiah. And Adam recapped for us the situation the Israelites were in, as well as the condition of the city of Jerusalem. If you remember, this was around the time of 445 B.C., and the city was in ruins. We're told in Nehemiah chapter 1 that the walls were broken down and the gates had been burned to the ground, and it was in a state of disrepair. We're also told that the Israelites that had previously returned from captivity were in great distress because they had abandoned all the laws that God had given them, and their lives were out of control. Now, from what we can tell about Nehemiah, he spent his whole life in Persia. But when the group of men, included his brother, visited and reported on the conditions of his countrymen and the home of his ancestors, he was so filled with compassion that he sat down and wept and mourned. Nehemiah was heartbroken over what was happening in this homeland. This place that he most likely grew up hearing stories of, stories of a land flowing with milk and honey, stories about a shepherd boy who killed a giant warrior with a sling and eventually became this great and powerful king. He probably heard stories from his grandfather playing with his buddies and trying to see who could throw a rock over the wall because that's what boys do, right? This would have been a place that he would have longed to return to, a place that he would have imagined and dreamed about and wanted to see firsthand. So to hear that this magical place of his dreams lay in ruins took him to his knees. This morning, we're going to pick up here in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app this morning, go ahead and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. But, and as you're, as you're flipping over there, let's, let's just pause for a moment and let's ask God to guide us through his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful we can be in this place. We're so thankful we can come here and worship you, God. And as we dig into your word, God, we ask you to speak loud and clear into our hearts. And we ask you, Lord, to give us the message you need us to hear. Thank you, God, for all the ways that you take care of us and you provide for us and you lead us, God. And all you ask is that we be willing to go and willing to do something. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we learned at the end of chapter 1 that Nehemiah was serving as the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And while taste testing the king's wine for poison might not sound like a prestigious job, he would have actually been a very influential person in the king's staff. You see, the king would have had to really trust him. He would have had this great relationship to know that he was going to do what he was supposed to do. And now Nehemiah, he's been weeping and mourning over this news that he received about Jerusalem for months. And on one particular day, the king happened to notice that Nehemiah was distraught. And he says, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. This may not sound out of place to you, but it's important to note that just before Nehemiah went in to see the king, he prayed this prayer. He said, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. 
You see, up to this point, even though Nehemiah had been sad, he made it a, a, a great point not to sh- display that, not to let the king see him sad. But this day, he knew this was the day that, that God was telling him, you need to go and you need to make this request. And he was nervous about it. And he, so he stopped and he prayed. He had such a strong desire to return to Jerusalem and help restore the city of his ancestors, but he was scared to ask the king for help. And what he needed was an open door. So he prayed that God would give him an opportunity, and that's exactly what he did. How often do we feel a need to to help or take action only to let an excuse hold us back? How often does our fear of failure, the unknown, or rejection keep us from stepping out in faith? How often does our acknowledgement of our own limitations keep us from ever asking God to help us through something? Nehemiah was scared, but he knew how big his God was, and he pushed through his fear and approached the king. So Artaxerxes notices Nehemiah's sadness and was like, why so glum, chum? And at this moment, Nehemiah takes a deep breath. He gathers up his every ounce of courage, and he, and he just he boldly and, and, and wholeheartedly proclaims, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, when I read this, I can't help but think of Ralphie in a Christmas story. You guys all remember the Christmas story, right? And you know Ralphie, and, you, and, and this scene, you know the scene where he's nervously waiting in line to see Santa, right? He knows that this is his best shot at getting that Red Ryder BB gun. And he keeps, as he's waiting in line, he keeps rehearsing his speech. He's going over, this is how I'm going to say it, and this is how I'm going to sell this to Santa, and, and he's, and he's going to go for it. And when he finally gets his chance, he freezes. He can't get the words out. He's scared. He's, he's, he, he's maybe he's scared of rejection. He's scared that Santa's going to say no. Maybe he's scared that he's going to say the wrong thing. But he freezes. And then at the last second, he gathers himself, and he makes his plea to Santa. I, I want an official Red Rider Carbine Action 200-shot range model air rifle. You guys remember that? And what did Santa say? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Right? But Nehemiah wasn't looking for a toy for Christmas. He was asking for help to restore Jerusalem. And he had asked God, more importantly, he had asked God to help him with making this request. So when he shares with Artaxerxes why he's so troubled, the king's response is, how can I help you? How can I help you? And what Nehemiah does next is a testament to his faith and just how powerful our God is. You see, Nehemiah believed that his BHAGs were nothing for God. You know what BHAG stands for? Anybody heard that term BHAG? BHAG stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals. And this term was originally coined by James Collins in his 1995 book, Built to Last. And and, in his book, Collins says this, To build a visionary company, you need to counterbalance its fixed core ideology with a relentless drive for progress. He says that while core ideology provides continuity, stability, and cohesion, the drive for progress promotes change, improvement, innovation, and renewal. And I first heard this phrase in one of my leadership ministry classes at Cincinnati Christian University, where my professor stated the need for church leaders today to follow the example of early biblical leaders and set more BHAGs in our ministries. 
We need more of these goals. We need to cast God's vision for his church and set God-sized goals. And we need to step out in faith and believe that our God is bigger than the things that we can't do. Just like Nehemiah, we have to cover it all in prayer. We have to pray before we step out. We have to pray while we're stepping out, and we have to continue to pray after we step out. You see, BHAGs occur when we step out on faith and set goals that we know are a whole big bunch bigger than what we can accomplish on our own. And we have to trust that there's no hairy, audacious goal too big for our God. So when Artaxerxes asks Nehemiah how he can help, Nehemiah has a BHAG moment. As a matter of fact, he knows that, that what he's about to ask for is really, really big, so he pauses to pray again. And so listen to, to what Nehemiah says here, starting in verse 4. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servants, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When we return, after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to king, if it pleases the king, this is that, but wait, there's more moment, right? He said, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Nehemiah knew God was calling him to take action. And rather than letting his fear keep him from stepping out, he was willing to be bold and courageous. So the king gives Nehemiah everything he needs to be successful, and Nehemiah takes off. As a matter of fact, the king went above and beyond and gave him even more because the king also sent officers and horsemen to go along with him to help protect him. The king took an, an extra step. And then in verse 11, Nehemiah says, So I arrived in Jerusalem, and three days later I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals except with us except the donkey I was riding. So Nehemiah, he wanted to go out and he wanted to see firsthand. He wanted to assess the situation. And so he goes out under the cover of night and he explores the entire boundary of the city to see exactly what the situation was. And in verse 16, he says, the city officials did not know I'd been out there or what I was doing for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. You see, each and every one of us is called by action to God. God calls us to be the church, not simply be in the church. We are all created on purpose and for a purpose. Being a follower of Christ implies action. And that action is to fulfill the purpose that God created you for. But if we allow fear to hold us back 
and paralyze us, we cannot function as agents of change for God's purposes here on earth. Nehemiah wasn't afraid to set big, hairy, audacious goals, but he was also humble enough to know he needed to stay in constant contact with God to ensure that his goals lined up with his purpose. So Nehemiah felt called by God to take action. He prayed about it, and God provided. And despite his fears, Nehemiah followed through, and he stepped out, and he took that action. This past spring, I challenged a group of our middle school and high school students, along with a handful of adult leaders, to give up a week of their summer and go with me to Bio Labatry, Alabama, to serve the poor in that community. We would be partnering with a ministry organization called YouthWorks, uh, and, and, their speci- and what they specialized in was building community relations and providing short-term mission trips for teenagers. We would be partnering with another group uh, of church that came down from Minnesota, and we were going to be split up into three work groups uh, along with them to help fix up and restore some homes that had been damaged from flooding and storms. We would also be hosting a kids club for a couple hours each day at the local community center. And what I'd like to do is, is take just a few minutes to share with you this short little video with some pictures from that trip. Let's watch this. Now, there were a lot of questions and concerns leading up to our trip. Everything from what would the weather be like? What, what are the conditions of the homes? Are the people nice? Where do we sleep? What are we going to do with the kids? And what are we going to eat? There was some fear about traveling that far from home. There was fear about flesh-eating bacteria, about how bad the mosquitoes would be and, and how hot it would be in southern Alabama in late July. But we covered the trip in prayer, and we took action. And what we experienced was God not only blessing us in amazing ways, but he blessed others through us in ways we couldn't have imagined. He built and developed some great relationships, and he challenged us to continue growing in our faith and trusting in him. God provided everything we needed to fulfill his mission for this trip, and we were able to accomplish great things and impact people's lives all because we were willing to do something. On every single mission trip I've ever been on, there's always been at least this one team member who questioned what they had to offer to the team in the trip. They feel like maybe they were out of place. They shouldn't go because Satan loves to put doubt in our heads in order to interfere or keep us from doing something great for the kingdom of God. We tend to think things like, well, I'm, I'm too old, or I, I, I got a bad back, I'm not skilled in that area, it's going to cost too much money, or I struggle with whatever, fill in the blank. And every single time I've watched God use them, the ones that went in spite of their doubts, God will use them for something that we didn't even plan for, but he knew we were going to need. Every time. And it's the same here in the ministries of the local church. God designs us for a job. He equips us to do a job, and he calls us to do that job. But Satan wants to fill our heads and hearts with all the reasons why we can't. We turn our focus to what we believe we can and can't do instead of on what God can do through us. We forget or lose sight of how big and awesome our God is, and instead become fixated on how small and limited and human we are. I'm sure if we were to put ourselves in Nehemiah's place, 
We could come up with a list a mile long of why we shouldn't go, why we fail, and why it'd even be crazy to ask the king for permission in the first place. But the reality is that God had been preparing him for this very moment. If you remember, God put him in this position of influence with the king. God instilled in him a sense of love and passion for this homeland that he'd never been to. God sent him the message of their current situation. God filled Nehemiah with compassion and a desire to be God's instrument of change. God opened the door for Nehemiah to share his plans with the king, and God laid it on Artaxerxes' heart to be receptive of Nehemiah's plea and grant him what he asked for. God put it all into place, and none of that would have mattered had Nehemiah given in to his doubts. But instead, when Nehemiah doubted, he turned to God in prayer. He prayed before he approached the king. He prayed while he was talking to the king, and he continued to pray after the king had given him everything he asked for. He knew and acknowledged how much he needed God to be a part of every step of the process. I believe we struggle and often fail at answering God's calls and completing his task because we don't stop to ask him for help. And when we fail to pray, it's like we're saying, I've got this, God, I can do it without you. And we in turn limit ourselves to only accomplishing our goals instead of his. When was the last time you set a big, hairy, audacious goal? What scary God-sized task has he's been laying on your heart? When was the last time you prayed for God to use you to be his instrument for change? We see, we see things like William and Robin Butler, who 40 years ago, God said, I'm going to send you to this place to be an instrument of change. And they said, let's go. And now today, this group of people who didn't even have a written language have a Bible. And they get to read God's word. I'm a firm believer that if God is keeping us here on this side of heaven, it's because we've got work to do. And we just have to be willing to do something. Maybe this morning, as we close, maybe this morning you're feeling the need to do something. Maybe God's been working on your heart and urging you to fully commit your life to him and be baptized. And if that's the case, I encourage you to step out this morning and stop putting it off. Water's warm. I've already been in it, I know. Or maybe you've been longing for a church to call home, a place to serve and grow. And if if that's that's you this morning, we'd love to have you here, and, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. Or maybe... You've been getting beat up by life lately. And you just want to talk to God, but you're not sure how. If that's you, we'd love to pray with you this morning, too. So in just a moment, we're going to play a song. And I'm just gonna, we're going to invite you that if you have a decision to make, if you need something, if you need prayer, if you need to step out, if God's calling you to make a change in your life, we're going to invite you to do so at this time.